in some ways this is this was perhaps inevitable you know i don't i don't know that we we go back from here um i think it accelerated trends that have taken a while to manifest Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I'm Adam Evermescu, and today we have a very special guest, Chip Ramsey, founder and CEO of Intellum. Hi, Chip. Hello. Welcome. Intellum is a customer experience and education platform, so I am so excited to have you on the show today. Chip, would you like to give a, a quick introduction to yourself? Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me, first of all. I'm excited to be here. And um, Chip Ramsey, I'm the CEO of Intellum and have been for the last 20 years. And uh, we have, uh, from being a very, very early cloud-based uh, enterprise learning management system to uh, moving into customer education and beyond, uh, we've I feel like we've seen a lot of the trends throughout the last couple of decades and uh, excited to talk to you about it. Absolutely. And I think those in the audience might know Intellum as a platform that powers, I think, some really incredible customer and partner education and customer experience programs. you got Facebook Blueprint, Google Academy for Ads, Google Retail Training, Twitter Flight School. Um, and those in the instructional design and content development world might know that you acquired Apatera, who makes uh, Evolve, the rapid content development tool. Yeah, they are an incredible team. We're excited to have them. Um, really talented engineers, and we're doing some really cool stuff to, to integrate the tool into the platform. So, yeah, yep, that's that's really cool. It's not something that I've seen before. The uh, you know the acquisition and combination of the you know the cloud based customer LMS with uh, the actual content development tool. Well, a lot of our bigger customers use it. And so, in essence, uh, and I'd been friends with Daryl, the CEO, for years because of just just working together with different with different uh, clients. And um, uh, honestly, they just sort of they they wanted us to do it. They were like, "Shouldn't you shouldn't you acquire Appetier?" <laughs> and they you know they just kept dri- dripping on us until finally, uh, you know, Daryl and I had the conversation and, and thought it made sense. But um, yeah, it's exciting to have them on the team, and it's been over a year now, and so they're really integrated in. And what a great group of people! So. It's, it's super it's cool. Excellent. Yeah. Now, the other thing, Chip, I have to say is I'm, I'm so glad to see when I go to your company timeline on your on the about page, it references all of the best indie rock releases from the time you were founded forward. So uh, I don't know if you've listened to uh, we, we did a what Radiohead can teach us about customer education episode. So I'm so glad to see that Kid A is on there from your your founding. Um, you've got a lot of my favorites on there, but uh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Kid A special part. I mean, like, because that's when we were just starting in 2000, and um, so you know, I'm uh, like, it, like thinking about like the the history of how we got to where we were. Like, uh, I know we were going to talk about that a little bit, but that Kid A is a good jumping point, uh, jumping off point for that. Um, you know, like if I had to in the very, very beginning, like we uh, I, I quit my job in August of 2000 and I was in the financial industry and, you know, I was trying to become a biotech analyst. I had a microbial biotechnology degree from Georgia Tech and a finance degree. And I was trying to go in that direction. And the Internet was everything. And I was looking for Internet ideas and, uh, you know, created a, uh, a, uh, a business plan 
um, that was around, uh, my stepfather was, a was in OSHA. He was actually a green beret before that went into OSHA and, um, and he, uh, was at the time he was, he was like, his, he's like the ultimate service person. And I was looking for an internet idea and he was like, Hey, you know, uh, I think a great use of the internet would be to train people to say safe. Um, and I was like, that sounds great. And I wrote up a business plan and I'm like right out of college, basically, uh, quit my, my job in August of 2000, right as the NASDAQ's tanking, oh my you know, gosh. Like the yeah. worst time ever, you know? And, uh, but trying to raise money with his business plan, no real, uh, you know, business background except for, you know, a, a year, year or so. And, and, uh, at Smith Barney and, and so, uh, you know, I, I had to teach myself how to code and like with Kid A in the background, you know, and like like some other albums around there, probably OK Computer as well, huge Radiohead fan. Um, you know, I don't know if you've done much much coding, but just having it, you know, in the background, you're listening to it and it and like certain memories and my memory of building out the first prototypes are are very closely tied uh, to, to that album. I would uh, say that maybe I don't listen to it as much because of that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you know? it, I mean, music has such a powerful connection, right. To bring you right back to the point in your life when you were, uh, listening to it, it like it, it hacks into some part of your brain. Kid A though, it's a really good one uh, to code to or to study to, I guess. Right. Cause it's got so it's a very ambient album. Well, it's such an electronic album. So you'll feel like, you know, you're like in the matrix or like in <laughs> Tron or something like while you're coding to this like ambient yeah. electronic music. And uh, yeah, no, no, it was an excellent album. I'm, I'm glad you, you liked their history laid out that way. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, Dave and I are both big Radiohead fans. It's one of the things that brought us together on the show, too. So uh, super glad that you're in the fandom as well. Um, and this is 2002. So we're not, we're, you know, we're not talking about... Uh, you know, getting on Spotify and uh, pulling up one of those like chill anime beats to study to. This is actually like pull out the CD player, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like the transition from OK Computer to Kid A, like where, you know, in the beginning, it's like kind of closer to rock and then it gets really electronic. Like that was a pretty exciting transition. But and so speaking of here. transitions, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, well, let's transition back to uh, what we were talking about. No, because I'm thinking about building, uh, you know, this product for the first time in the early 2000s. You know, the not only was the state of the industry different, the state of the web was different. So I, I'm really curious, you know, when you first started, uh, you know, building the company, building the platform, like how were you how were you even thinking about building out this platform at first? Well, I mean, out of necessity, to some degree, we were, uh, you know, cloud based, you know, what they used to call like ASP back then. But really, there weren't that many examples of it. You know, so uh, Salesforce is just getting ramped up and they're talking about, you know, the no software. Um, but from the very beginning, I made it cloud based. And I, I think we were one of, if not the first enterprise learning management system that was cloud-based. Um, at least that's what you know, the people that I was selling to acted like because they had never even heard of it. And they were like, what do you mean? I can't install this on a computer on premises? You know? <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, so it's sort of like it, it was out of necessity in the sense that I didn't have the scale in the very beginning to build an application that could be installed and updated in all the different places that it was installed. And it made a lot more sense to be a cloud-based uh, tool. Um, so yeah, and we, we started off actually on something called, um, open ACS, which was an MIT professor's, uh, kind of pet project 
um, and uh, had some early conversations about you know the open classroom stuff with uh, we you know I open source parts of it and we're in some of the early conversations about getting some of the, the MIT courses online. They didn't end up using our platform, but it was cool to be in those conversations. So. Yeah, and and I would I would assume that even at the time, you know, a lot of the LMSs that might have even been thinking about deploying in the cloud versus being an on-prem solution, that just knowing the LMS market at the time, there probably wasn't out there a lot that was actually designed for external customer, like enterprise customer education. I'm sure a lot of it at the time was uh, academic, or you know, meant for higher ed, or even just for uh, internal L and D. Yeah, well, I mean, the way we started off was really in compliance. Um, so, uh, you know, with that safety and health, like my stepfather was, was the, the, the genesis of the idea was I'm seeing people get hurt. I'm seeing people get maimed, get killed because they don't have access to quality education. Use the Internet yeah. to train people affordably and, uh, and make it consistently high quality. Um, and, and so it was really, it was an internal employee tool to begin with and, and heavily in compliance, but that even like immediately because we had built it to be uh, sort of an authoring tool. And we did, we actually built before the, before the iPhone, uh, the ability to build uh, assessments and courses that ran on like the old, like handspring, like precursor to the iPhone type phones. Um, and uh, we were deploying like mobile training and mobile assessments uh, in the early days for, for that. But they, they wanted to expand to like skills-based training and, um, and uh, you know, soft skills and, and uh, helping people with a career development. And so we, we sort of instantly went into a full-blown, you know, early days of a learning management system that was cloud-based. And the customer education um, came a little bit later. Um, it, it, we started working with Facebook, geez, I mean, they were probably like 300 people when we first started working with them, and it was all internal. And they wanted to reach an audience of people externally. I think, actually, Twitter had beat them to the punch at that, that point. So Flight School has gone through many different iterations, and we now run it. But the, it was the impetus, originally, I think, for Facebook to put uh, customer education out. And then... You know, you have like sort of a, a normal internal employee-based uh, learning management system approach, but and it's a top-down type of approach, right? And you don't, you're not, you're not meeting people in a way that you would meet a, a consumer potentially. Um, and I felt like we were really strong in like user experience, and we really cared about the user, and and so it, it felt like a natural transition to try to to reach customers as well. And Facebook asked us if we were interested, and we did it, and. And launched it was really successful but you know it's all about taking that broad audience that maybe you don't know everything about them and being able to personalize it and personalize a broad catalog um, and you know make things public make them you know make sure they're searchable but also gate certain elements mm -hmm. uh, so it came with a, a whole lot of complexity that that was very specific to what I would say is a customer education platform of today um, but uh, that's, that's sort of how we transitioned into customer education. It was originally really internal education. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And you know, to your point, the moment you start thinking about this external use case, you do. You have to start thinking about gating. You have to start thinking way more about the user experience because so many of the fun fundamental assumptions have changed. You're no longer talking about a captive audience. You're no longer talking about... Um, you know, an audience where access is limited just to the internal company intranet or, or you know, wherever you're, you're hosted on. So I, 
I have to imagine that really increases, it starts increasing the scope of development very quickly. It does. Yeah, it does. It, you know, I felt like we had a head start because we were, we were thinking consumer-like even back with, you know, when we were, we were serving internal audiences and we were doing some external like partner training at that time too. So mm -hmm. we had a sense of, of getting people into the system without, uh, without, you know, being tied into their, uh, their HR system. Um, but yeah, th there was definitely a lot of functionality that went into it. But honestly, I feel like that functionality that goes to the consumer just, you know, maybe there's a little bit more focus in, on the user experience when, when the, cons the consumer has to opt into the training. But in reality, don't you want that experience to be just as high quality for your employees? You know, so I feel like it, it, it's a natural extension of, of what an old, you know, learning management system may, may have been. Um, as we sort of transition into more of an education platform that can reach across many different audiences, customer, partner, employee. Yeah, everyone deserves a better experience. You know, just because you're a captive audience doesn't mean you should get a, you know a low quality, a low quality experience. Uh, learning can be tough enough as it is. You don't want to put a bunch of barriers in the way. Definitely. So let's let's actually fast forward then to today. So. 20 years later now, customer education and, and frankly, the world are in a very different place. Uh, you know, the cloud now is very normal. It's expected. Um, but we're also living in the year 2020 when the coronavirus pandemic has affected the entire world. Uh, everyone has moved their programs online. And just the nature of doing customer education is, is so different. So I'd love to talk a little bit with you just about the state of customer education today and some of the things that you're, you're seeing in the market. Uh, before like April, March, this all starts happening. But ironically, before that, we had started working on something that we were thinking of as like the Peloton concept, which is live and on demand coexisting in order to create a, uh, you know, a, a, a year round relationship with the customer that also brought them into live events and started building a sense of community. You know, we have this social tool that, that we had built out many, many years ago. Yeah, this is the um, one that so, you, you built out to start talking about Lost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like to make fun of Lost and also love Lost at the same time. Uh, yeah, I think, I think we're the same private. person. Lost, Radiohead. <laughs> this is, we just have all the same cultural touchstones, which I don't know what that says. <laughs> I don't either. Uh, but it, yeah, so, um, you know, like we, we're, we're trying to like have this, uh, like this community building where you, you feel comfortable, you can come get answers, you can get answers from each other. And the, and the live piece of that, like the cool thing about Peloton where they, I think they excelled was that you can feel like you're part of something by joining a live class, even though you can go into an on-demand class and essentially see something that would be, would be just as good, you know, but you're not, yeah. it's not live, you know? And, and so, and there's, there's opportunities for live interaction. And so we started with that even before the pandemic hit. And we had been doing a lot of work with our customers and, and looking at, at different ways to approach that type of concept, live and on-demand living together. And then, then the, the pandemic hit. And I, we have not, I mean, there are people who aren't sleeping, you know, just trying to keep up with the demand, the need to help people to transition their what I'm calling physical, you know, like <laughs> physical versus virtual. Like people are saying in person, but I think like the opposite of virtual is physical. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, a good point. Like, so it's taking the physical and making it virtual. And, um, 
And so we're creating these like conferences for people. Like Pulse was one of the big first ones. They were really early and like nailed it. I feel yeah. like let's get, uh, get inside Pulse for our listeners. Uh, and Dave, Dave actually used to work at Gainsight as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I mean, and Nick and team and you know May and like a number of people over there. They just killed it. It was great. And and uh, they were the they were early. So we had a number going at the same time in the very early days. But they were the first that sort of like showed what they could do. And then there's been yeah. well, know, and the scale chip of that one. Like I, I think I'd heard they had what like eighteen thousand people or something. Yeah, and we I mean we've done ones with hundred thousand plus people now. Yeah, it's just um, crazy to think that that you know that's where the world of what what used to be a physical to your point a physical conference which might have had like a few thousand people now is having tens of thousands or one that had tens of thousands now has hundreds of thousands the scale is just off the charts. That was what was the coolest thing about it was like yeah if it was a, a, you know a few thousand or 5000 or whatever it may be in in person you could get double triple the number of people that get to take part in this event. And they're still connecting socially, like in the the sponsors still even were get, having valuable conversations with the audience. The audience is having a valuable conversation with themselves and 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 with uh, with Gainsight and and with others. You know, with Adobe and VMware and Zoom and you know Facebook. We did something for Sheryl Sandberg and and that group and with Boost and uh, like it, there's just they're having meaningful interactions with people and. And it's cool to be able to to uh, to do that at that scale for people and help people right now. You know, it's it's really demanding to put these up, to to stand these up, and to get it uh, out and running in these kind of compressed timelines. Um, and I mean, I have to hats off to to our team. I mean, they have been working around the clock to help people with that, and and the companies that we're working with are working around the clock. And and I'm really proud of that work. I, th- I feel like. I feel like we've really helped people and we've, you know, you know, I'd like to think that people are, are still having some good experiences at home, even though they're stuck, you know, in, in maybe their apartment or, uh, you know, <laughs> don't get to get out as much. So, yeah, but I, I think to your point, it's it's challenged a lot of assumptions about what could or should be done in the physical world and, and whether they're, you know, more or less impactful in the virtual world. I think we're we're starting to see a lot of results that. Nobody would have expected even even a few months ago. And I also think that, you know, kind of along the lines of what you're saying, this is a it's a real moment for anyone who is in the business of helping other people improve their collaboration or just the way that they they work digitally, because that's the world we live in now. Definitely. Yeah, Yeah. no, I, I totally agree. And in some ways, this is this was perhaps inevitable. You know, I don't I don't know that we. We go back from here. Um, I think it accelerated trends that have taken a while to manifest. Um, yeah. And you know what's really interesting to me is is watching K through 12. And you know I was I was we were talking earlier about the fact that I have two kids in high school and and watching that transition to online and realizing that even in the classroom where you have teachers and who really know what they're doing, great teachers, you know, in, some, in, many, in many cases. And, and then they transition to online and it's, you know, in some cases a complete train wreck, you know, and it's, yeah. it's not engaging, like the students are checked out, like they don't know what to do. And what does that tell you? That tells you, I think, that it tells you that, that teachers have gutted it out over the years. And there's a lot of opinion and there's a lot of just like trial and error to you find, you know, until you find your own style, but you don't really know what's successful. 
And, and maybe you don't know exactly what it is or why something is successful, I guess, is a better way to put it, why? Uh, and, but at the very least, they, they didn't know how to transition that to a, to a virtual world. And that's been very clear. And I think that's because education as a whole has been so unscientific. You know, it is, it is ridiculous, you know, looking back at, you know, some of the, the practices and the assumptions and, you know, uh, my mother, I kind of like come from a long line of, of uh, adult education. My mother was an was a, uh, English professor, college professor, and, you know, she always used to talk about things that worked or didn't work in her class. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it just isn't, it, considering it's a- academia as well, it's, it's shocking how unscientific it is. And I've really loved the trend of, you know, learning science is becoming more of a thing. And we're investing a lot more on it. We've like created our own department and like a, a yeah, newsletter. I've seen your newsletter, the Learning yeah. Science Weekly newsletter. Yeah. Do you like that? Is that? I, I do. It's cool. It's like, uh, uh, what's the other one? The, you know, like those little snackable, snackable content newsletters, but for learning uh, science. Yeah, yeah. It's what am like I thinking of? Like the skin? morning brew, maybe morning yeah. brew. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so it's like then that's the idea. Is like take the science, make it accessible to people. Uh, you know, have a newsletter, we're out there, we're looking for research, we're talking to students in different schools, we're working with MIT, some people at Carnegie Mellon, some other schools like Alabama and uh, some in Ohio. And, um, you know, and we're working with these schools and these students and trying to do the research to make it more scientific, you know, and I know nobody wants to hear that, you know, like they don't, it's kind of like, it may be kind of boring and like nerdy to be like, you know, but but I just think there's a real opportunity to, to actually create experiments that have you know, procedures that can be repeated and that the results can be repeated. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's what we're about on, on the Customer Education Lab. We really believe in experiments that actually have some sort of rigorous underpinning. Because if you don't, and if you're just thinking about you know, perception or gut or, or intuition, right? You're talking about people gutting it out. Um, you're not necessarily going to do things that actually translate. Like maybe you've been doing things that you've been doing in the physical world because it feels right. And because that's how you're used to it working. But as the world has changed out from under us, that, that forces us to rethink so many of our, our conceptions and also uh, to think about how we ultimately make this more effective in the long term. Exactly. I mean, it builds on itself. If we really have that rigor, um, we are of the same mind, you know, and start with science, you know, and then, and then, you know, try to bake that into your process, like a, a data-driven methodology of continuous improvement, you know, and, and put that in place and measure it and challenge yourself to improve it over time. Yeah. Um, and then take all those lessons and build it into the product, you know, like what actually works and, and let's do some learning engineering and, and build that stuff into the product. So it's, it's an exciting time. It's kind of shocking how how, you know, it's just sort of now feeling like this is getting traction. Yeah. Do you have an example, Chip, of something that you were experimenting with, maybe, um, you know, with one of those institutions or one of your customers that you were then able to actually validate and kind of work back into the product? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a really, it's a difficult, um, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to do. You know, like you, you say you want to create like personalized pathing, for example, mm-hmm. like, and there's some good research that came out of um, Candace, I can't remember her last, last name that came from Carnegie Mellon, where she was doing some work with Amazon and uh, she was, she was like pathing 
um, uh, like different activities on the same learning objective and like how many and does the order matter and then using like a machine learning algorithm to uh, to uh, you know find the, the best number and, and sequence. Um, and we've tried some of that to limited results. But things like the, the length of content um, and the way that it's presented, we have had success with. So we, not yet on the machine learning side, like we're still working that hard. I mean, that's the, the, the possibilities there are unbelievable, you know? Yeah. We're gonna have but, GPT-3 writing all of our uh, courses at some point. Right, or, or our assessments or grading them, or, you know, you've seen, you've probably seen some of the experiments of taking like essays and, and having uh, the grades from professors scanned in and then having the, the model that's created from, from that uh, uh, grade the, the essays afterwards and then seeing it's, how that grade compares to professor's grades. Have you seen that? Yeah, I, just, I, I can't even really wrap my head around the implications that this is going to have in the world of assessments and, and certifications. It's nuts. It's nuts. I mean, so we're not there yet. And we're not making like, a, like amazing breakthroughs yet. We're doing the science. But, but I think where we are seeing things that have, have uh, been brought back into the product is how important flow is. And, and so like the old version of of e-learning, for example, which you kind of would, again, like just would have the gut feeling that if you go into a, a big SCORM package and you have a bunch of navigation inside of that SCORM package, you're probably going to lose some people. If you have a curriculum that's made up with a, a, of a lot of those types of, of learning interactions. Um, and, and we found that if we took something like that and broke it into, into smaller pages so that you're not, it's basically like, the, the one concept, like a one page per concept type of uh, approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I'm not saying micro learning because I don't know that I totally believe in, in complete micro learning. I, I believe in stringing concepts together in a way that, that has a, an overall story, you know? And, and, yeah. Well, it's, um, it's like it's chunking, not necessarily micro learning per it, se. No, exactly. It's chunking. And so we've found a lot of success and a lot better completion rates and a lot better engagement in taking those uh, e-learning courses, breaking them up so they're really just one experience at a time, not navigating inside. And then how that broke, ended up in the product is when we bought Evolve um, or Appeteer and brought, brought in Evolve and integrated it, we started taking those, um, uh, those e-learning one-pagers and putting them in line inside of our paths so that you could have that flow state of vertical scroll to the bottom of a, of a really interactive page, like right in the navigation of your tool. Yeah. And then you can scroll to the next one and it's right there. And, um, and you know, the completion rates have gone, uh, gone way up on that with the same amount of content. I can Just, imagine. Be- yeah. yeah, because it's, it's, it's user experience, it's navigation. Like you could, yeah, I, I could totally see why. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's an example of where it's worked. It's not as, as sexy as, you know, like having, you know, AI build out like the, the perfect personalized path for you. But, you know, one day, one day. Yeah. Well, but, uh, you know, I like I like what you're pointing to here, because even though we're going to continue, I think, making a lot of headway against some of these really large grand ideas, like having, you know, completely personalized pathways a lot of the time it also comes down to the little things like having fewer clicks between um, you know, chunks of content, having single scroll, just making the next step a little bit easier, a little bit more pre- uh, pleasant, a little bit less friction. But the, the other thing, you know, Chip, you and I were talking about this uh, a long time ago, 
But I think it also kind of leads us to another point about focusing on the fundamentals. You oh, talked yeah. about your, your so mother being important. an English professor, and I'm, a, I'm also, this, this warms my English major heart that we talked about this. But we talked a while ago about, you know, in terms of focus on the fundamentals, just content being the most important thing, and that's still being a big, a big theme in the market. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, what, what that means to you, the importance I of content? I can't stress it enough. I cannot stress it enough. Yes, I am a learning technology, you know, a, a company, you know, and, and, and the technology, I think, has incredible implement, uh, 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 capabilities and opportunities, but... But it all comes back to communication, right? And if, if and 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 writing and and being able to uh, clearly teach something to someone in a way that's going to stick with them. And it, it sometimes we're we're so focused on you know this feature or that feature um, uh, or where is that button or what about this that you lose the fact that the 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 most important thing is that the message that the writing is clear and that the the content is is quality and it, it's the most important thing i mean the technology is worthless without without the content and and so i i think it's so important and, and it's it's not stressed enough i believe that sometimes you find in, that that people are so concerned with these other things that they're not concentrating on the writing and you don't get people who are the best writers working on it but it's hard it's hard to find someone you wrote a book like it's it's hard to go through the exercise and and have the discipline to take that sentence that maybe has four extra words in it and, and isn't as clear as it could be and rework it until it's clear and really makes the impact that you want it to make. And and to find those people and to celebrate that skill, like that's something we should really be more focused on, I think. I completely agree. I mean, we're, we're at an age now where instructional design doesn't necessarily mean just being able to do, you know, the, the full Addy and do it in, in that very... Um, kind of formalized, rigorous way where, where you're not actually putting pen to paper through the learner's eyes. Like you can design, you know, the most perfectly validated course structure. But at the end of the day, I also think that the, you know, the most successful and the most skilled uh, educational content developers are, are also some of the best writers. Like it does take a lot of effort to turn good thinking into good writing. Definitely. There's no yeah. question about it. And there's a skill to that. And it, I mean, I think you can can learn it. Um, I think some people are maybe a little bit more gifted to start with, but I still think there's plenty that you could do to improve your writing and practice can improve it. And, and, uh, and we should, we should focus on that. I think we should celebrate that. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, just really warms my English and rhetoric major heart. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing that we were talking about just in terms of general trends and you and I touched on this a moment ago where we talked about the need to really infuse a little bit more rigor and, and science into what we do is just changing some of our, our beliefs that education is, is just a, such an inherent good that we don't need to be rigorous about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, you know, before we, before we move on to the next topic and start talking a little bit about your customers, um, if there's anything else that you'd like to share along those lines. Uh, that's a really good point, and uh, you know, I, I, hopefully, we'll have you at our next if we if we have a in person event again, but maybe our virtual IXS event. We did this uh, last year, and we had you know a number of of leaders like yourself in a room, and we just talked about learning science and talked about advancing the field, and 
Um, you know, product wasn't even really as mentioned as much as just how do we handle this? And, and um, you know, people were talking about that, like it literally it was said in the room that learning is an inherent good. And, and you could hear like the, the rumbles in the, in the room, like, well, yeah, it, it is. Education is, uh, we all believe it's, it's good and it has, you know, the, the, the capability to uh, transform society you know, in, in a really, really positive way. But, but it's important, I think, to focus on the value that you're generating uh, with the education. And, and in many cases, and, and where this comes, comes through a lot, and, and so Vicky uh, from Facebook, I mean, uh, from Amazon joined us recently and took over as uh, our VP of content strategy. And one of the things that she talks about a lot is, you know, that, that this content isn't marketing. You know, good marketing, marketing is educational, mm-hmm. but, but you're, you're teaching people someone. This is education. Yeah. And we need to provide value to them. You know, if they're going to spend their time, uh, you know, consuming this content, let's provide value to them in their lives and their careers um, and, and focus on making sure that we're doing that, that we're fulfilling that promise to the person who's spending their time in it. That's such a good point. I mean, I, I think of a couple of things here. One is that education can be an inherent good, but that inherent good doesn't really do anything if it doesn't get the reach that you need it to, to get. So you still need to be thinking about how that education is actually going to connect with its audience, how you bring it to market. Um, and, and the other thing that I think about when you say that is that we do need to be thinking about what, you know, what business problems or what problems for the actual user or the audience that that education solves. Because you know, even if they can find it, if they're not willing to engage with it because they don't feel like it's going to provide value to them, well, again, you could have the most perfectly designed course in the world. You can, you know, can be really solid from a, a learning science standpoint, but it's not actually going to accomplish anything for the learner or for the business if it's not getting uh, the right uptake. How many times have you seen instructional designers skip over the persona stuff? You know, like defining your audience and who you're speaking to and the value that you're providing to each one of those people. Yeah, it's the it's the content first versus the learner first approach. Yeah, and and I see it I see it frequently, and luckily I see also people you know do it more with with thinking about the audience first and the the value that they're providing to it. But I see very often that they they skip that step, and it, it's such a critical step. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, so hopefully now we can talk a little bit about some of the bright spots that are going on because uh, you know, like we mentioned earlier, you have a really uh, amazing and prestigious customer base. And I know that they're working on a lot of cool things at the forefront of the tech world. So I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the interesting things going on in your customer base around their uh, education efforts. Um, Well, one of the big ones, I mean, I think this has changed since the last time we spoke, but uh, it has been transitioning these live events, obviously. So that's been a big part of it. And then then what we've done with that is because so much of the the uh, their education their customer outreach has has become virtual they not only want to personalize the the user journeys but they also want to segment uh the the sort of almost like the school that they're in i, I don't want to call it a school but um there's been a lot of work about being able to come to a destination understand that you're in in this sort of like, let's say you're a, a developer and an engineer, and there's an engineering conference that you're going to. Well, there may be 
another part of the site. You want one user across all of this that is talking about how to use your tools the best way, your products the best way. Yeah. Um, and that user, you want to, to be able to uh, have the full view of that user so that you can, you can personalize to the best of your ability for that individual user and that they can have one place to show their certifications or the, the badges that they've earned or you know, their, their transcript. So you want to have it in, in one system, but bringing a user into that world where they're engineering focused, where they're learning about how to write code for a, a certain you know, device maybe. And then, it, and, then, and then when they come to look at, say, like a software product that the, off, that the, the company uses, that when they come to that, that world where they're learning about product, that that's a, that's a separate world. And you're not confusing them by having too much in front of them at one time. And so segmenting your content and your experience mm -hmm. um, has become of more importance now that so much of this customer outreach and education and some of these things that they were even doing live is coming into one central uh, you know, platform. It's a really interesting balance to strike because on one hand, you you want to connect the experiences and you want to make sure that there isn't a ton of friction for a person to jump between, say, uh, getting a, a help or support experience and uh, getting involved in a community, uh, you know, kind of taking a more, uh, you know, formal course. Like you, you want you want to be able to communicate to whoever that learner is and whoever that persona is. Here's your path um, or here's your resources. But you also need to strike a balance to, to not overwhelm them and just throw everything in the kitchen sink at them at the same time so they get confused and, and essentially just bounce. That's exactly right. And quite there, what the reality of it is that, and this was sort of against my, you know, it, the beginnings of trying to deal with some of these challenges, like, you know, a few years ago, my instinct was, you know, let's be as smart as possible about automatically personalizing for the user. But, you know, it started to fall apart as these, as these catalogs really became broad. Um, and and I, I think that it, it does help them a, a great deal because one hat may be that they're an engineer and one hat may be that they're a product, you know, consumer. Mm -hmm. and, and their personas are, it's the same person just wearing, you know, different hats. Um, and it, it does help. It, it, but it was against, I mean, kind of going back to that scientific approach, it was against my my instinct to to start segmenting the world you know the the platform in that way for people yeah it, it <laughs> I, I can see how it might fail the sniff test there but uh, you know i appreciate that you're you're willing to challenge that and and to continue exploring you know the other thing that i think about chip is the the more you start going into segmentation the more that magnifies maybe an existing problem that a large a lot of these large enterprises are having which is just content management and, and scale. So if you are managing, you know, tens of thousands of courses or pieces of content, they've got to be localized. Um, how how are your customers approaching just that that magnitude of content development and upkeep? So yeah, I mean, content management at scale is a huge challenge, and our our biggest customers like have have a lot of people that they can throw at that challenge and. Mm -hmm. Um, and we want to make that more efficient uh, for them. 
Um, and we want to make it so that other companies that maybe don't have, you know, hundreds of people that they can throw at a challenge like that um, can, can do it affordably and, and easily. And so we've been, we have been working a great deal with our customers about, you know, versioning and doing it inside of the platform so that, that it's not really a content management system. Because I think I've seen a lot of like versions of learning through just content management and it, and it fails to connect as much with the, the user uh, because it doesn't, it doesn't incorporate into the software the actual lessons learned through many, many years. Um, and so we're, we're managing content at scale through our platform, using versioning, using publishing workflows, um, making that so that that can be scaled a little bit more. And then that last challenge of, of localization is a huge one for some people. I mean, if you're talking Absolutely. about like 40 languages that you're trying to or more that you're trying to translate across. So... You know, that's that's enormous amount of lift and, and pain in some cases. And so we've started working on, with the versioning in corporation with with creating a really solid API approach to uh, work into to uh, to translation workflows um, so that we can automate it to you know the best that it possibly can be. And there's still some work, but I mean, man, we're like cutting out like and this. This has been over the last year a, a huge challenge that. Um, that we've tried to, to address with our larger comp uh, customers and even the, the smaller ones is we've been able to take um, you know the, the number of hours and decreasing them significantly by automating using technology for what it's good for, which is you know the yeah. leverage of automating tasks. Well, that's um, it, right? With localization, to your point, um, anything that you can cut out of a, out of a localization process, just given how many steps there are, how many nuances there are, and then how many languages you're, you're just you're multiplying. A process that's already time intensive by um, you know it, it becomes exponential. Definitely, I mean a thousand courses, you know, with 40, uh, 40 languages, forty thousand courses. It's it's the the time adds up very very quickly. Yeah, and then you know I I know you know part of the way that you've been approaching your platform too is you've got courses, but then you've also got articles and resources and and you know other types of content where you know fundamentally you're kind of starting to blur the boundary between what might be, you know, in the, the traditional LMS versus what might be a little bit more like a help center or a blog or, um, you know, other, other types of content. And that all needs to be maintained as well. Exactly. I mean, as another sort of trend that we're seeing is the consolidation of those, uh, you know, different sort types of information into one platform so that you're not spreading your audience across many different destinations. I mean, that's, that's always a challenge. If your user doesn't know where to go to search for the material or if they go to this spot to look at your help center articles or they go to this spot to take your courses and they go to a different place to take their certifications, et cetera, et cetera like that you're just spreading your audience thinner and they don't know to go to this one place to get their answers or to get their, you know, meet their education needs. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it has compounded in the sense that, that we're, we're seeing people use it as a single source, knowledge base courses, certifications, and, uh, yeah. And even, even new product announcements and, and things of that nature. And, and it, it compounds it even more. You're right. Yeah. So, you know, we have a few moments left. Uh, usually when we do CEO interviews like this, I, I love to finish with a question about kind of CEO to CEO, because I know that you're talking to other C-levels out in the world. You're talking to uh, board members. Um, so I'm, I'm curious when you think about how you're talking about this industry to other C-levels out in the market, uh, 
what what are you talking about? How are you talking about it? What do they care about? I'm just kind of curious how you approach that. You know, I don't know if they care about it, but, <laughs> but <laughs> what I talk about is, you know, that the internet is the, the greatest learning tool that's ever been invented. And we've been doing things basically the same way for the last, you know, thousands of years, a couple of thousand years, you know, and, and what have we... The, the internet was in, uh, was created, and even as we're seeing like K through 12 kind of stumbling, trying to adapt to, to the virtual space, um, there's just so much opportunity to make positive change um, by, by making education more accessible, more efficient, more personalized, differentiated uh, using the internet. And we've only scratched the surface. So for me, it's, it's that that opportunity is, is one of the, the, the biggest opportunities today uh, to, to leverage these tools and to make real positive change in the life of your customers and adding value or to students or whatever it may be. And, and it all boils down to, I think, um, thinking about the learner, the individual, and catering to them and providing value to them. And if you're in customer education and you're doing that for your customer, then they're getting more value out of your, out of your tools, out of your services, your products, um, and they're more loyal and uh, and they're you know they're they're happier they're they're uh, and and you have better customers and and better results. So I just think it's it's all about value and individual value and the opportunity of of utilizing this amazing tool that we have, the internet uh, and the reach that we have to its fullest. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, Chip. We're we're in an age now where education and learning are becoming increasingly democratized. Maybe that's a bit of a cliche at this point to say, but people have more of a choice in where they go for their learning and, and how they learn. And so that makes the experience and how you compete on experience far more important than it was even a few years ago, much, much less a few decades ago. So I, I really appreciate your focus there. And I think some of this was also really validated by the report that uh, y'all put together with Forrester. And Dave and I did an episode on the Forrester report a few episodes ago. So if people want to check that out. Um, that's in our backlog, but it, it really, I think it validated the increasing interest um, and, and prominence of customer education as, as a field. And that was even pre-COVID. Yeah, you know, I mean, we were really excited about doing that. And the thing is that we just want these, uh, the people that we work with and their leaders to see, and particularly the, you know, the people that we work directly with, and then maybe even all the way up to the C-level, we're doing all this great work and adding so much value to the customer. And, you know, one of the things that we're doing right now is with, with all of our customers is trying to connect that, that value that we're generating. So, you know, all the way from the business objective to the learning objective, to the content strategy, you know, that of, of, uh, you know, putting those learning together, uh, objectives together to the platform and delivery strategy and the marketing, all of it, all the way through until you can measure you know, measure what is what is happening and then connect that engagement measurement back to the value that you're adding for the user and to the business. Um, and we're all doing that now, uh, I think, in a, in, a, in a much more conscientious way. I think Forrester and the Forrester Report proves the type of upside that you can have from that. Uh, you know, I think, it, what was it, like revenue increase of 6% on average, retention yeah. increases of 7%. 
When you're talking that at scale, that is those are enormous numbers. Some really meaningful results and, and from a function that I think people just have not understood nearly to its capacity. And that's why we're we're really trying to evangelize customer education. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> awesome. Well, Chip. Thank you so much. I know that you and your team are working around the clock for your customers to, to transform them from physical to digital. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us today. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? No, I think this was great. It was an excellent conversation, Adam. I really appreciate what you do and I appreciate you having me and hopefully look forward to conversations in the future. All right. So thanks again. I know that your website is intellum.com, I-N-T-E-L-L-U-M. If anyone wants to learn more or see that amazing timeline of uh, the different bands across the life of the company. Um, Thank you, though, Chip. Thank you for taking the time. And like you, we are passionate about customer education and we're committed to connecting our growing audience of leaders and professionals to the people and ideas they need to understand the field. So with that, let's wrap. If you want to learn more listeners, we have a podcast website at customer.education. I don't know how we snagged that domain, but we did. Uh, there you can find show notes and other materials. Uh, on Twitter, I am at Evermescu. Chip, you on Twitter? Uh, I am not, actually. Sorry. Is, uh, is Intellum on Twitter? Uh, at Intellum, yeah. Just at Intellum. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. And special thanks to Alan Coda for our theme music. If this helped you out, you can help us out by subscribing in your podcatcher of choice or leaving us a review on the Apple podcast system. (laughs) Those two things really help us expose our podcast to other people and to our audience. Thanks for joining us. Go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks for listening. And thanks, Chip. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. This was great, man.